Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. I like those five o'clock starts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's uh, only like eight o'clock here, and we're uh, rolling with the podcast. And yep. I also like the score, <laughs> score in that game, 7-2. It was nice for the Oilers to actually win kind of a laugher. Yes. To take to take one of these big leads and then extend it rather than give it up. And, you know, mm-hmm. the Oilers have been a pretty good team as of late. And I think they kind of earned this one where, where things finally went their way. And they just wiped out the Pittsburgh Penguins. And they had a couple of goals against, called back. Everything was going for the Oilers tonight. The grade-A shots, Bruce, were 17-7 to 7 for the Oilers with the subset of subset of five alarm or five alarm shots, 11-2 to two for Edmonton. Pittsburgh just wow. had two shots. There are two goals. There are two goals, well. yeah. That was it. Bruce, this is our Two Good Things, Two Bad Things, and Two Numbers podcast. Why don't you start it off with your first good thing. We'll go with two good things each. Because it was such a big win. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with the uh, performance of Edmonton's uh, fourth line, I guess. Uh, Derek Ryan between Devon Shore and Yesipoliarvi. Uh, I just love the the game that they brought tonight. I just thought they were uh, 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 solid on the attack. I see 10-4 shot ratio when Pugliarvi, for instance, was on the ice. And they they were just humming. They were doing everything right. They were getting, getting pucks deep. And they were then getting on those pucks that were deep and causing turnovers and cycles and all kinds of, uh, of pressure uh, for Pittsburgh. Uh, there was one shift late in, late in the first period where Pugliarvi uh, had the great shot on goal. Maybe you have the time stamp there, David, from the scoring chance document. Uh, uh, the, the, which period? First oh, period. the first period. The only, the only grade A that didn't go in. <laughs> 7.56, 7. 7.56 of the first. Yeah, okay. Well, I invite people to go and watch Pugliarvi's entire shift from about 7, 8.45 to 7.45 or thereabouts. And it was just textbook fantastic hockey like this is the, this is the this is the talent that people have seen for years but on display in the last few games now and more tonight than ever on this one shift David Pugliarvi had the puck seven times on his stick and he advanced it he he uh he dumped it in he made a quick short pass with it he took it along the end boards and held it against two pittsburgh guys for 10 seconds on the end wall before shoveling it over to shore so that the cycle would continue and then after that he got rewarded with a great setup uh in the slot and fired a very dangerous shot that uh, jerry was able to kick aside and he circled back out and the puck came to him again and again he made a good pass and with the order still cycling and with heavy pressure on he chose that moment because he was high in the zone to make his exit and make the line change so that the cycle could continue with pressure players like just very good decisions all along and you see that and your mouth just waters and you think where is this guy like it's you know where has he been 
because he's got so much going for him when he's on his game, skating like he did tonight. Couldn't finish, couldn't even finish the tap in a, a Broberg pass in the end. I don't know what's wrong with that with his hands with, within five feet of the net. But everything else that he did on that shift was just ace. And like I say, I invite you to watch, just watch that shift, eight, eight plus minutes left in the first, and just focus on, on the one guy, but you see how he fits in with his teammates and everything's moving parts and the puck is on a string and they're all just all over him. And then they they did get a goal uh, in the second period. Devin Shore, who I thought might be coming out of the lineup tonight because Clem uh, Costin was rumored to be back with the team. And I mean, he took the warm up and everything, but Costin was not activated. So Shore kept his spot. And this was after he won the uh, the vest for the last home game when he bled for the team and blocked shots. And we talked about him in that podcast. Well, I thought that might even be his last game as an Oiler. I mean, we really don't know, right? But there's yeah. certainly a, a universe or, or a million where that happens, where where he loses his roster spot and he never gets a chance to reclaim it. Well, tonight he was still in there and he got a goal in what still might be his last game as an Oiler. But he started his own goal with a terrific backtrack. Brett Kulak stood the guy up in center ice and Shore went back into his own end to recover the puck. And he cut into the middle of the ice and he made a long diagonal pass off the boards and up to Ryan uh, on the good side of center. Ryan dumped it in. Uh, and just such a matter that when Jerry went out to the net to get it, he was just, puck was just trickling into the trapezoid and the pressure was already on him and he kind of panicked and made a poor pass along the wall that Pugliarvi intercepted and Jessup made the uh, pass across the uh, Royal Road and who's roaring up the wing from the play that he made at the other end but Devin Shore and the Flyers one that beats uh, Jerry and finds the back of the net and I say good on you Devin Shore if you're gonna if you're going out you're going out in a blaze of glory with uh, three three really good games and and uh, Rewarded on the score sheet tonight. So, uh, but I th- I just thought that whole line just had it had it going on. They had the cycle going. They had the puck on the string, and and really the Oilers as a whole, uh, the puck movement coming out of their own end of the ice was just fabulous to watch. So many good short passes, crisp passes, and just walking out into the neutral zone, and and they they were just on another level from Pittsburgh altogether in this game. They seem to match up well against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's not a team that wants to just play um, park the bus hockey. Mm-hmm. They uh, they true. will they will try to score and make plays. And against the Oilers right now, that's not necessarily the best idea. You know, it's interesting what you say about player RV Bruce. I was looking at um, his his um, you know the stats that we keep the micro stats or the high resolution stats that we keep of of um, contributions to grade A shots and mistakes on grade A shots against. And la- last year, he and Hyman all year were the, in, in a running battle to, to be the, who was going to be the best Oilers winger in this category. Pugliarvi, uh was, he, he just had a really strong season. He faded as the year went on, but overall, on average, when you averaged it all out, it was a strong season of two-way hockey. This year has been the opposite. He has been one of the weakest Oilers in terms of of these high resolution stats that we keep, and with you know one of the lowest rates of contributing to shots and making his fair share of mistakes and not in on many goals and in on too many goals against. So it's I don't know. 
what has gone on with this player. Yeah. But as you suggest, there are these tantalizing moments. And if he's used in the proper role as a glue player on a line, I think he can still really contribute to the orders. And, you know, there's been some suggestion now, and I think Elliot Freeman was talking about this, how they might be reluctant to move Pugliarvi because um, he provides this depth. Mm -hmm. And I see it, Bruce. Like, in games like this, he's the player that we were were crowing last year, you know, Oiler fans, about Ken Holland's great move and getting this player back on the team. And, man, it was... It's not too late until he's traded, I guess. And um, I hear Miko uh, Rantanen wants him on the uh, Colorado Avalanche. He was quoted in the Finnish media talking about how he's such a great friend of Puliyarvi and what a great guy. Yes, it is. So, um, but he's still an Edmonton Oiler, and he still's got that big smile on his face. And now and then this year, he's having games like this. So uh, good for him. As for Devin Shore. Um, I, th- I think in a game where you play like that, it's not going to be your last game as an Edmonton Oiler. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's possible, but um, I think he'll play against Columbus. I mean, he uh, he he's earned it, and mm-hmm. he, he used to be a Columbus Blue Jacket, did mm-hmm. he not? So they might want to get him in, in his old. Am I wrong about that? They might want to get him in his. I old... remember him as Dallas, and I think he was out on the West Coast. Let me just point that. Time. Yeah, it's in there somewhere. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Could, could well anyway. be the case. But he's played well enough that, that he will. Yeah, he was a Blue Jacket. Bruce, Bruce I was right by six games. He played six okay. games with the Blue Jackets. Yeah. My old journeyman. Tend to show there up in go. a lot of places. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, tonight we were saying when we heard that the Oilers had 21 guys on the ice for the warm-up, and they officially have a 20-man roster, right, with these two emergency call-ups. So I thought, well, that's curtains for sure if Costin's back. But my son, who's a big Costin fan, well, that's a bad part about Costin coming back is Shore comes out and he's been playing great. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'd be reluctant to pull him out. And I guess I just thought, well, why, why bring the guy back in who's sick and maybe rusty for the guy that's you know, that's that's played played well. And I know there's uh, uh, there's uh, uh, statistical. Uh, record of shore leaves some people cold, uh, including myself in some ways. But uh, if you know, if you don't like the human story behind one of some of these guys, I mean, why are you watching? <laughs> it's, I mean, that's the best part for me is when when you see uh, uh, some guy like Matt Berlin or, or <laughs> Devin Shore, or Zach Sturtini, or Ryan Jones, even guys I've defended in the past while they were under a barrage of of criticism and, and it's just fun to watch him play some of them you know anyway fun to watch that Devon Shore score tonight Bruce my good thing is the un well it should be undisputed but the best player in the game was Connor McDavid by by a long shot and he had two goals to assist four points um that first goal that he scored, I mean, this game was, a, it turned out to be a laugher, but it was in doubt in the first part. The orders were down one to nothing. And you just never know. You just never know what's going to happen. All of a sudden, I think it was the second power play the orders got of the game. Unfortunately, they were given some power plays this game. And McDavid just makes um, the kind of play that he regularly makes, which is just absolutely brilliant, uh, a play few other people can make. 
and uh, you know he, you know obviously if you watch the game, you know what I'm talking about. He goes down the the um, left wall, stick handling the puck, and he's down on the goal line, and he banks the you know from I don't know 15 feet away, he banks the shot in off uh, Tristan Yari's back, back of his neck, <laughs> the nape of his neck, and into the net, and it was just. Uh, he was aiming there. You could tell from the big grin on his on McDavid's face. That's exactly where he wanted to put the puck, yeah. and he was thrilled that he put it there. He was very happy with that goal. I'm the goal. It was. It was astonishing, and uh, it made the score one-one. And suddenly the Oilers get rolling, and they never stop rolling. But, and and I think without with with that kind of um, it's the kind of goal, which is such high skill. It's got to be demoralizing for the opposition team. And I think Pittsburgh was never the same after that. The, the game had been very ev- even up until then. There had been not much in the way of um, scoring chances for either team. Right. Um, the one goal accepted for Pittsburgh and mm-hmm. Pulley Arby shot, that was it. But he, once that happened, it was just like everything changed. And it's like, oh, we're playing this guy and he can do that. And then, of, of course, uh, you know, four minutes later, Leon bats one out of the, Leon Dreisaitl bats one out of the air into the net as well, just to, uh, Add brilliance to brilliance. So like a line what, drive off of Tony Gwynn's bat this time. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> McDavid, of course, um, he gets um he he sets up um Ryan Nugent Hopkins on a fantastic goal where McDavid gets the puck in the neutral zone, takes it in and whips it over, it makes this incredible spin, hard stop and spin to his backhand, which mm-hmm. is the hardest one of probably the hardest maneuver skating maneuver in hockey especially when you're trying to control the puck um it is so hard to execute a play like that and and no one does it better than Connor mcdavid that kind of those kind of hard stops those hard spins and he he does that and he sets up Nugent hopkins for a fantastic fantastic shot there's Fine. 270 degree spins eh? he did the same thing when he split those two defenders the other night oh, looks yeah. like he's Looks like he's spinning one way, and he actually winds up 180 degrees opposed from the first 90 degree spin. He just comes out going the other direction, and the defenders are just flummoxed. To and do then, that of course, Nuge wires that shot what a right shot. In off the post. I mean, yeah. talk about uh, making the point. Wow, you're just Nuge is really on fire. And then, of course, there's the the penalty shot goal. My only complaint is at that point is what well, you know? Why is McDavid still playing? Uh, in the game, they, I thought no they should have sat him, should have sat him down. But nonetheless, um, he gets the penalty shot and and puts it in. And you knew, I I just had a feeling he was going to score on that one because he was probably ticked off about Dumoulin's hard play on him mm-hmm. at the net there. And he's thinking, all right, you know, you're going to do that. I'm scoring. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you are not. I will not be denied, and he was not denied. He made a brilliant move and deked out the goalie, stick handled around the goalie, and scored the goal. Good so a four-point night. Four-point night, Bruce. He now has 109 points in 59 games. His points per game, I think, is 1.85 per game now. Mm-hmm. He actually had a season, the the lockout, the, the uh, COVID season, where they played just 56 games against other Canadian teams. He had 1.88. But um, he's closing in on that in terms of um, his play this year. So Well, that's his first four-point game in 2023. And I think in the 2022 portion of the season, I think he had seven of them. 
Oh, wow. Four, five, one five-point game at Seattle right before uh, New Year's. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but a whole bunch of four-point games. And then in this year, you know, his his rate has been going down. His points per game is, you know, I mean, it was two for a while, and it's come down, what do you say, 1.8 now? So, uh, 1.85. You know, yeah, yeah, okay. So, uh, uh, not a slump exactly, but a lower rate. But he wasn't getting the big nights like this. Now, all of a sudden, we got a three and a four back-to-back, and uh, he looks back and, and fully engaged. I like his defensive game tonight. And, uh, you know, my wife's been saying for a week, she says, every time I look at Connor's eyes, I think he's one of the ones that's sick. And uh, she's a former kindergarten teacher. She knows sick eyes. But she's <laughs> seen her share of them. And I've heard her say it before and have it been proven out. So, uh, and he, I mean, and just by his performance, right? He was... He was underperforming. We gave him a couple fours along the way. He was, uh, you know, he was struggling a little bit, and he was getting his points, you know, here and there, but one at a time kind of thing. Well, tonight he got a four pack, and uh, and he was fully, fully. I mean, two brilliant goals and and one brilliant assist. I mean, start with that, and you know, like he's. Uh, he wasn't even picked one of the three stars on Sportsnet. Can you believe it? Uh, yeah, well, they were just having some fun, I guess. I don't know. Oh, Picking yeah. the unsung unsung heroes. They did. And, and, and the, all those guys kind of deserved the recognition. But there was one one guy that had to be on the marquee at the end of that game. You know, if there's a cold going around, Connor McDavid is catching it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he's like, it's just like, how many times did he catch? He, he probably caught, caught COVID like seven or eight times. <laughs> he just, he was, he, he, he does get a lot of colds and he gets them bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, Bruce, what is your second good thing? Amundo? Yeah. Okay. My second good thing is, uh, just an instant of the game. Uh, and this was the, uh, shot pass, uh, that Darnell nurse made on what proved to be the game winning goal by Kyler Yamamoto. And this was an instant instantaneous sort of, recognition of the play darnell came in off the blue line uh to pick up a loose puck and yamamoto was sort of crowding the crease and looked like nerds had a clear shot at the net but he glanced up and he saw hyman in the low slot uh sort of between the circles in front and so nurse wound up and he i'm pretty sure it was even in his backswing that he may have sort of changed his idea of where he was going to shoot it and he deliberately shot sort of five to ten feet wide of the net uh but directly for hyman like he made the sort of clear decision it's a it's a slapper but it's a slap pass and he put it right on hyman's tape and hyman tipped it into um uh, jerry and kind of through jerry and then yamamoto was uh on the spot to pound home the uh, the loose biscuit, uh, but I, I was I just impressed me with Nurse's read of the play and his execution of the pass. Two things he is constantly being accused of not being able to do, and that play it just stood out to me in an offensive context in this play and this play. But boy, he was all over the ice in this game, and he was stripping Pittsburgh guys of pucks left and right in this game. He dominated this game, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'd give him an eight or a nine. I mean, yeah. there was the one deflected in goal off him that didn't count, fortunately. 
But, and, you know, he was caught out of the end, was part of the group caught out of the end on that nice passing play by Pittsburgh when everyone was kind of given up anyway. But he he made five major contributions to grade A shots at even mm-hmm. strength, and he kept a clean sheet himself, not one uh, even, major sorry. mistakes at evens. He mm-hmm. was just, he was, he just had an outstanding game. I'd give him, mm-hmm. I'd give him an eight or a nine. Yeah. It was one of his best games of the season. And what I think, and this is going to be a controversial season, I think has been his best season. I think, um, there's a lot to like in Darnell Nurse's game this year. I think he's he's cutting he's he's cutting down slightly on the major mistakes he makes as a defensive player, which is impressive considering the the uh, level of competition that he that he plays. And his offensive game is still top drawer. Like it's it's he's still doing what he always does. He's not five a, shots tonight. He's not. Um, you know he's not the power play leader on the team. That's not his game. But he he job, is man. just he is such a fantastic two way hockey player, such a dynamic player. And uh, you know we we he's he's had a few slumps, defensive slumps especially this year. And we've been yeah. on his case a few times. But overall, Bruce, I think this is he, he he's taken his game slightly to a slightly higher level, and it's been uh, I think his best two way season. A lot of people will hate hate that because there's lots of people do not it makes like. Makes too much you know, money, so. David, and that defines everything. Once a guy is is uh, if he doesn't live up to the amount of his contract, he is open to a flood of criticism. This is something I learned on the internet. This, all guys are measured against their contract. <laughs> of course, something I already knew. But sometimes you pay for the team. This is the team. Why don't we as fans root for the team? That's kind of what I do. And, you know, I might not like this contract or, not, or that, but if the guy's on the team, go go, guy, you know. Yeah. Here's what I would say about uh, defensemen in general, Bruce. Um, like, I do think Edmonton hockey fans have as, as at least as high a level of knowledge as any hockey fans in the world, maybe the highest level. We're total fanatics. But defensemen are notoriously hard to rate and people are notoriously bad at rating them. Two things are going on at once. And what you'll find is there's with, with defensemen, people are all over the place. There's a general consensus, I think, about almost every forward that every, most people will agree with. Um, Pulley RV accepted. But with defensemen, there's factions of people who think Nurse is the oh. best defenseman and there's factions who think he's the worst. Evan Bouchard's the same. Cody Cece's the same. Um, Kulak is the same. There's just, there is no agreement at all on the value of defensemen in this market, in the Edmonton market. People just don't agree. And they see different things. They go by different stats. Um, mm-hmm. And it just leads to what, what we find on the internet is this uh, cluster frack of uh, varying opinions. Um, and I'm not going to say most of them are wrong. But they are. <laughs> uh, they're just. I just think that people get it wrong with the defensemen and, and how they read them. But that's just my take. I, I think we. I, I don't think they're looking at the right things. They all have. All the players have their positives and their negatives. And and it's true that when you measure them against the salary cap, you're probably going to say this guy's, uh, that guy is under or overperforming. Well, there's got plenty of guys that are overperforming their contracts too. And and. Uh, Darnell Nurse was one of them for about eight years. Uh, yes, every year until this year. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Sure. And and uh, uh, now you know now he's into his UFA years and the worm has turned. But uh, 
There's no reason to hate on the guy. Jeez, all he's done is play his ass off for him to New Orleans for eight years now. Yeah, like, I was looking at Nugent's 12 years with the Oilers. So, Bruce, uh, my second good thing is someone else who's taken some heat for his contract, Warren Fogle. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to suggest Warren Fogle is, he's earning his pay at this point. Based on a run, his last month has been really strong. Mm-hmm. He In 44 games, he now has 10 goals, 6 assists, and 16 points. Um, no power, you know, no power play time to speak of. Some power play time now and then, but he's on, on the, the penalty s- kill. On the second unit, which is yeah. no power play time at all, really. Yeah, he's getting, he's on the penalty kill and he's doing okay there. But at even mm-hmm. strength, he is finally, this is the kind of, play, in the last month we're seeing the Fogel kind of expected to see the whole time, which is a pretty physical player, fast, with a with um, a nose for the net and a decent shot. The shot's actually been better in the last little while than I ever expected from Fogel. He's been firing some uh, hard shots at net and he, and he fired another one tonight off a brilliant pass by Leon Dreisettle. Just a just a fantastic uh, feed from Drysaddle that you know hung up the uh, Pittsburgh defender who would have loved to block that pass, I'm sure. But he and Fogel just rifled it in. But Warren Fogel is earning his what is it, 2.75 million per contract, which is slightly under the NHL average. He's 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 capable of playing in the Oilers' top nine, and he, and doing a good job there. He's become part of this team in a big way, and. Um, to the point, Bruce, where where when someone needed to criticize the team after the they gave up their last four to one lead, who was that against? Um, yeah, Colorado. Colorado. It was Warren Fogle who was on mm-hmm. all all of the. He was the one who stood up and said, "We got to have some shorter shifts, and we have to have some better positional awareness when we get up." And he was calling out the biggest stars in that hockey team when he said that. <laughs> good for Warren Fogel. And he wasn't wrong. And he wasn't wrong. And, you know, but that takes some, he didn't do it by name. He just did it by implication. And um, it was it was justified. He just called, t- told it like it was. So good for Warren Fogel, both on and the off, off the ice here. He's coming through for the team. You know, I was going to mention the same thing about the criticism. And I was saying he was, you know, maybe almost the perfect guy to be doing that. Like he was one of these role players uh, uh, down the lineup that have been, you know, they've been performing well. You know, as has been noted increasingly in the in the uh, uh, local uh, uh, media and hockey chat generally, the Oilers with McDavid and uh, Drysaddle on the bench are are starting to heavily outscore the opposition and. When you go through the stats, you see that you know the 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 first line is getting its goals, but they're getting pounded on the goals against, and nobody else is. And uh, I, I will say, I do think that both of the big stars have been have been less than 100 percent, as as mentioned before. Yeah. But the time had come to you know let's let's pay attention to the 200 foot game, and I would say these last two games, both McDavid and Drysaddle have done a dandy job of that. And still, and they're getting the puck more because they're winning it, and then they're doing something with the puck. Like I think it helps their offense when their uh, when their defensive game is top notch. So anyway, Fogel, he's up to ten goals now on the season. Yeah, game fifty nine. He's like zero power play goals. I think he might have got a shorty or, uh, and uh, uh, he's up to what's he got now? Uh, 
16 points, 16 yeah. points in 44 games, 10 goals. Goals per 60. McDavid, 145. Costin, 1. 1.35. Kane, 1. 1.13. Fogel, 1.07. Ryan, one goal per 60. Nugent Hopkins, 0.92. Ryan McLeod, 0.91. And then there's uh, Drysaddle at 0.79. So he's like fourth on the team in goals per 60 at five on five. And of course, that's most of his game. He's not a big special teams contributor, but he's uh, uh, becoming a scorer and an outscorer at uh, uh, five on five. And, you know, he's a 10 to 15 goal man. Well, guess what? He's right on that. He's right on that pace now after having a pretty wretched start, like most of those goals have been relatively recently. Indeed. Bruce, what is your bad thing? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, um, the first Pittsburgh goal early in the game. And it was, I thought the Oilers had a, had a quick start. And then all of a sudden things started to come unglued for a little bit. And not for very long. But on this one play, the puck got uh, uh, was shot and it got through Philip Broberg's stick. And it went into the corner. And Broberg went and he engaged his man there as he does. And uh, uh, the puck got... Um, I think passed up the boards by Pittsburgh and uh, Broberg followed his man to the front of the net, number 16 on Pittsburgh, which was uh, Jason Zucker. And it was hard to tell exactly, like they kind of interacted as they sort of were pushing against each other. And just as the pass came through, uh, I think it came through Bouchard's lane onto the stick of Latang. And uh, Stuart Skinner tried to go with Latang as he cut across the face of the net, but his pad and Broberg's skate got hooked up, and uh, Skinner just went down, and Latang just wound up having the open net. And on the live view, I, both my son and I were both going, "What are you doing, Stu? You know, just fell yes. down." But yeah. close examination of the replay, but Broberg sort of gets turned around by Zucker a little bit, and his right skate hooks. Uh, uh, Skinner's left pad and Skinner's got nowhere to go really but down so it's a bad thing you know it was not obviously Broberg's finest moment but uh, also just a little bit unlucky and it just turned what you know was, wasn't a great play but it turned it into basically a gift goal when the, when the two Oilers got uh, clashed up on that uh, goal mouth thing so yeah, it was Not already a real, a real bad thing. I mean, there weren't that yeah. many bad things in this game, but that one kind of stood out, especially when it was one nothing for them. Especially in the first minute of the game, like, <laughs> here we go again. And, you know, it was a tough play. Drysaddle lost a battle behind the net mm-hmm. to Malcolm. And then Bouchard was unable to cut out the pass. Yeah. It was already a really dangerous chance before uh, Philip yeah. Broberg hit the goal because yes. Lutang had come down the slot and he was wide open and... and um, you know, it was it was it was a tough play for Drysaddle because Malkin was in on him and, it, and he tried to pass the puck and he got he just got his arms got jolted as he was passing it and then it's a tough play for Bouchard too because mm-hmm. it's very quickly developing and he just couldn't cut out the pass. But um, these are NHL players and that's what they're supposed to do. And mm-hmm. uh, Bruce, my bad thing is I don't I don't really there there wasn't a lot of bad things so I'm just going to go with the call on Matthias Janmark. Okay. I don't know what how that's a penalty. He was he's standing there, not wanting to get, go over the blue line, and a, and a defenseman on Pittsburgh back skates right into him, 
and they call Yanmark for the penalty. He, you're allowed to hold your ice, your ground in hockey, and that is not a penalty. Yanmark was telling the official that it's not a penalty, and it wasn't a penalty. So I don't, uh, you know, it's a sneaky play on a certain level because I think he knew what he was doing. He sees the defenseman backing up, and he's going to go stand behind him. Doesn't matter. Well, he had to stand up at the blue line, or he would have been offside, right? He did as well. But I think even if let's even if he wasn't near the blue line, I think you're allowed to do that. The defense, you know, the players have to be aware of who's on the ice and where they are. You're allowed to to stand where you stand, and if someone runs into you, that's not your fault. So, I didn't uh, think that was a very good call from the refs. So that's my bad thing. Especially when Leon was breaking in between the the mile-wide defense pair and about to go in for a great chance on goal. This was 15 seconds after the orders had made it 4-1. to one, And it was reminding me very much of the really cheesy penalty they called on Friday night when the orders went up 3-0 on Rangers. And the very next shift after, they scored two right in a row, and then the very next shift after that, there was a real chintzy penalty called that stopped the bleeding. In fact, Rangers scored on that power play to begin their comeback. And in both cases, I said the same thing, two minutes for game management. You know, the orders are getting, you know, they're in the ascendant. They're starting to take charge. We better slow them down somehow. Oh, there's a sort of a penalty. Let's call that. Come on, refs. <laughs> All righty, Bruce, what's your number? Yeah. Uh... Well, my number is kind of similar to yours, so I'm actually just going to use it in support of yours. <clears throat> and I'm just going to take uh, my number tonight is 25 minutes and 37 seconds. That's uh, Darnell Nurse's ice time in a game where every other oiler uh, was under 20 minutes and over 10 minutes. So they really spread the ice time around with the 11 forward 7D system, but all the D got, uh, got time. Uh, DeHarnay was the least at 10.20, and McDavid was the second most at 19.32, but towering high above that was Darnell Nurse, who was just skating beautifully in this game, really skated well. And, and uh, I think, you know, that that uh, flexor thing that he had in the fall was still not 100%, and I think he's, he is skating better now, and that's such a big part of his game that I'm... I'm hoping and thinking I'm seeing an actual surge in his play, but whether how long it maintains and sustains, we'll have to see. So an assist plus two, five shots on net from the back end, three hits, uh, which were both uh, highs for uh, Oilers blue liners. And as I mentioned earlier, just so many uh, little plays, one battles that, of course, we don't have a, a count on other than uh, he came out with the puck an awful lot in uh, in one-on-one showdowns tonight. So, but I'll just go with the ice time as being the number. My number, Bruce, is, revolves around the Oilers' incredible streak in the last 17 games, and um, they have the second highest points percentage in the NHL in that time period. The only better team in the last 17 games, which is about almost two months of NHL player, this is play from January 10th, is the Carolina Hurricanes. The, the Hurricanes have um, point picked up, uh, they have a points percentage of 844.844. The orders is 0.794. The orders mm-hmm. have in that time just one um, 
regulation loss. They've got 11 wins and then six, they lost six in overtime or shootout. So, um, but they've, they've gotten points in 16 of 17 games mm-hmm. and um, their goal differential in this time period, Bruce, their overall goal differential this year is 30, I think. Um, and, but in this, in this 17 games, it's been t- plus 29 goals. So all of this has come. All of this great goal differential has come in these last 17 games. They've they've scored 4.6 goals per game um, in this time period. The next best is the Hurricanes at 4.1 goals per game. So the Oilers' offense is just ig- absolutely ignited. And as you say, McDavid's only had the one uh, four-point game. So it's 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 not it's not just built around around the power play. It's all through the lineup. It's all through this this team. And um, I guess the uh, bottom six players got tired of hearing about how the orders needed to pick up one or two bottom six forwards at the trade deadline if it, if the team's going to do anything because it suddenly it, it becomes a weird trade deadline um, when you're going into it on such a hot streak um, because unless you're going to get a really good player almost, why are you getting any player? Because you have all kinds of role players. You might, you know, you know, you might want a depth player, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't want to give up too much for that player because you've got suddenly your depth players, you know, Fogel, Ryan, Costin, McLeod, Jan Mark. These players are all playing strong hockey, strong two-way hockey. So uh, Pulley-Arvey's capable of it. So it's a, it's an interesting time, an interesting decision that Ken Holland's going to have to make, and it, it's almost like I, I think if you can't get uh, Kulak's been playing better also. Philip Broberg's been playing really well. Um, if you can't get, Vinita Harney's been playing well. If you can't get a, a star player, why do anything? Um, is almost, is kind of what I'm thinking at this point because these other players, they've earned their spots on this team. They're earning their spots game in, game out. And it's almost, would be almost like a, in terms of team spirit, is slap in the face to that whole concept of this team, which is coming together in an interesting way. If they can get goaltending, Bruce, because that's one thing that has still been inconsistent, uh, is is the goaltending. This team is a juggernaut at this point. Um, you know, there's been some some defensive issues with um, uh, the top line, as you, as you point out. But the, the bigger issue, I think, has still been goaltending. And if that comes together... And we're seeing signs that that may happen. Um, I just think, you know, I started out this year thinking, I think the Oilers are Stanley Cup contenders. They were at the final four last year. There's no reason they shouldn't be better this year. And uh, that's that's what I'm, we're seeing this now. And I, it's gratifying for, for me, you know, to see that. That's what I wanted to see. It's what I hope to see. And that's what we're seeing. Right on. Well, here's my supporting number of your number, which I had this in mind before we started the podcast. But I, I just took the the straight on calendar date of January 1st rather than picking the time they got hot, like the calendar yeah. year 2023. Yeah. And we have uh, uh, the Oilers uh, with 12 wins, three losses and four, uh, six other losses. And they didn't win one overtime game. They got all six of their... Uh, they lost all, meaning every point they actually earned was they earned all the points in regulation time. Regulation. The ties that they got. Right? Yeah. 30 points in, in 21 games. So 12, 3, and 6, that's their record in regulation as well. 
714 for the Oilers. And that is first in the Western Conference, Seattle Kraken, 652, Colorado, 650, Los Angeles, 632, Nashville, 600. Like we're talking, the Oilers are gaining ground on everybody in the West. And since New Year's, they've been the best team in the West by some margin. And maybe we should sort of take a step back and recognize that. We're saying, why is the team still in a wild card spot fighting for a playoff spot? They've been doing really well for a really long time now. And instead we hear, well, if Ken Holland isn't in on the next player who's going to get traded, well, you know, I'm not going to be happy about it because he needs to really be doing his job. I thought his job was to build a team that could win games, and the team is winning games, or at least tying games, and uh, moving up the standings. And, you know, this is pretty sustained. What's this, February 23rd? So we're talking about almost eight weeks of uh, calendar 2023. And, I mean, you could set the deadline before, you know, Christmas if you prefer, and I'm sure you'd find the same thing. Edmonton in first place in the West over that span. And first place in the West, doesn't that sound pretty good? Sounds pretty good to me. Sounds pretty good to me. I, I think my final thought, Bruce, uh, is uh, what what I think we're going to see with the goaltending is the the old win if win and you're in uh, mm-hmm. kind of a- attitude, taking, which is exactly the right attitude with these two goalies. If you win the game, you get the next game, um, and and go, go from there. And hopefully, uh, you know, Skinner's been yeah. pretty solid all year long. Campbell's been generally down with one good month. Um, as as the exception to the rule, but um, that good month was fairly recent, so maybe he can recapture that and and uh, start. Uh, he has kept on winning games. He's win won games and all tying along. Tying games, tying games, tying, the last tying three. Games. Yeah, but he's nine zero oh, and three. He hasn't lost a game that he started in regulation in twenty twenty three. Jack Campbell. <laughs> That's and, not- I mean, well, it's incredible, and I'll tell you the reason. He's played 12 games that he started, and the Oilers have scored 62 goals in those 12 games, an average of 5.17 goals per game, which is like the 80s Oilers used to do. You know, it, it, it prorates to 413 goals per 80, which I set it to per 80 and not per 82, because literally I was comparing it to the to the uh, uh, 80s Oilers, and they scored 12 games that uh, Campbell started, and the Oilers have scored at least four goals in 12 out of 12 games. So that's where those 5-4 shootout losses are really rankling people this last week because the team was scoring, and they still couldn't quite score enough to win, but they got results. And it's uh, so Campbell's, you know, whatever reason, but so I was – Pleased to see Oilers score three for Skinner in the third period the other night. Delighted to see him get to convert a touchdown in this game. Like that's a, some real goal support for the other guy. Like it really, it really been a weird. Like I think Skinner had five goals in support in his last three games, and Campbell was getting like five goals every game. Yeah. <laughs> sort of what's going on with the two? So anyway, Skinner it was a plenty of goal support tonight. It was a. Pittsburgh Steelers kind of win from the 70s, Bruce, tonight. Shut him down on defense, and Franco Harris bowling over the uh, goal line for the touchdown. All right, Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. Joe Green and Jack Lambert leading the charge on defense, eh? I think I can name the entire Steel Curtain defense. Uh-huh, L.C. Greenwood. Dwight White. Uh-huh. Holmes, uh, yes. 
Jack Jack, Hatt, Jack yeah. Labbert. Right. Um, oh, so maybe I'm going to fail on the uh, defensive backs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just having a hard time thinking. Oh, who are the defensive backs on that team? Wagner? Uh, uh, I'm thinking of the front seven myself. I was a big Steelers fan for, well, I still am technically, but uh, I don't change loyalties, David. The only team I right? ever bailed on was the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> I got into the league with the Oilers and I had season tickets to the Oilers and I had this exciting young team they got in the same league as Toronto and I'm going to have to choose uh, hmm. Wayne Gretzky, Harold Ballard hmm, tough choice so was Mel Blunt on that team? Hmm? was Mel Blunt on that team or was he a Raider? cornerback? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah yeah, I think, yes Yes, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm thinking he's a Raider. Anyway, my memory, my memory is starting to uh, starting to slide on some of these ancient details, but uh, uh, I can tell you that the first points the Pittsburgh Steelers ever scored in this Super Bowl was a safety. So when they when they won the they beat the Vikings, I think it was sixteen to six, and seventy. Four, so the actual steel curtain is just defined as the defensive line, actually. Right. Yes. Is um, okay. Oh no. Oh, okay. Here we go. Greenwood. Uh, we missed Mel Blunt was on that team. Yeah. Andy Russell was another yeah, linebacker. He was the other linebacker. Yeah. We called JT Thomas. That name name is not ringing a bell with me, but um, all right, Bruce. Thanks for talking tonight. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Mandatory 70s sports references and all. Galore. (laughs) And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.